Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. We're going to read from verses 1 to 21 in Acts chapter 2 this morning. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, They are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. All right, we have been um, beginning to study the, the Acts of the Apostles, the, the book regarding the Acts of the Apostles. And so um, in that, we began looking in chapter 1, where Luke is writing an account of what has occurred in the beginning of the church. And so begins it with the ascension of Christ. Just before Christ ascends into the clouds, he gives his, his disciples a command to wait. To wait. But not just wait without a purpose, to wait for the power of the Spirit to come upon them. They were to wait for the fulfillment of the promise of God. God was giving a promise and that they were to wait for that promise to be fulfilled in that 
fulfillment of the promise was going to be that there would be the power of the Holy Spirit that would come upon them. In order that, thank you, in order that they could be witnesses for him. In Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the outermost of the world. And so that's that. And while they were waiting, they were what? They were praying, okay? And so... Um, Let me turn it off and turn it back on. No, I, I got nothing going. Could be batteries. Okay, okay. So, um, so we're told then at the end that when, when they went to wait, that they went back, Acts 1, 12, 14, it says, verse 13, and when they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying. And these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. So, so last week, what we looked at, how they went back into that upper room then, and they spent time in prayer. Overwhelmingly spending much time in prayer. Now we know he then chose um, the tw- another 12th apostle, Matthias. But the general gist that we have is that they're spending all this time in prayer. Now we know, hindsight being 2020, that they've wait, they're going to wait for 10 days. Because it was 40 days, after 40 days, when, when Christ was ascended. Waiting until Acts chapter 2, which we just read, Pentecost. Okay? Now that literally is the Feast of Weeks, which is called Shavuot. Okay? In the, um, it is a, a um, harvest feast. We call it Pentecost. But literally, that comes from the, the Greek word, okay? So what we're referring to when we say Pentecost is that it's 50 days after okay 50 days after what not passover we say the resurrection but according to it's the same day but according to jewish feast it's the it is 50 days after the feast of the first fruits which happens to be the day when jesus resurrected from the dead he was the first fruits of the resurrection first fruits of the dead so so christ died on passover Okay? He was buried. He rose again on the third day, which happened then to be, coincidentally, you can look at Exodus chapter 12, Leviticus chapter 23. You can look at all the, the Passover feasts and the, and the feasts of Israel, how they all work out. It's amazing to me. I don't have time to get into all that, but it, I love it. Talk to me sometime, and I can show you from Sunday through Sunday how it all plays out. It's exciting kind of stuff. But he then raises from the dead on the Feast of first fruits. Fifty days after that, then, is Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, which we call Pentecost. So they have 10 days, 10 days, where they're in an upper room praying. In chapter 2 then, oh yeah, I got a green light. We're good. Yeah, I like it. So, thank you. So the day of Pentecost had come. They were with one accord, still in one accord. Sometimes, this is an old side. If we had to spend 10 days together, all 10 full days together, we make it through family camp. But what if we had a week and a half (laughs) <laughs> nope. <laughs> oh, we, they were in accord after 10 days. They're still having the same mindset with one another. And they're in prayer. They're, they're, they're in prayer waiting for us, okay? And so they were one accord in one place. So they haven't scattered, right? Still hanging out together in that upper room. Suddenly there came a sound from, the, um, from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now there's debate on what this okay some like to say it's the temple because the temple is referred to as 
the house of Yahweh, the house of God. So it's the house. And and the temple is referred to multiple times as the house. But we've already been defined for us in chapter 1 where they went. Where did they go? They went into the upper room. And so in verse 1, then we're told in chapter 2, they were all one accord in one place. Okay. So I think they're still in the upper room when this mighty rushing wind occurs, when this Pentecostal, what we refer to today as a Pentecostal um, happening, okay, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, I believe was in the upper room. Now, but we know at the end of chapter 2, which we'll get to in just a couple weeks from now, actually at this porch which is the southern end of the temple. So somewhere along the line, they get this, and we're going to hopefully talk about this at the end of the message today, right? They get this explosion of power, right, that comes upon them, and then they go out. They go out with it. They don't stay in with it. I want you to think about that one. They're not staying in the church. They're not staying in the word. They're going out with this, and this is where we're going to cycle all the way back to this. And they end up at, then, the temple, where there's going to be McVeigh's, okay? And so you have that on your sermon note sheet in the introduction. The McVeigh's is kind of like our baptistries. They're on the Solomon's porch. That's why Peter's going to, when they say to him, what must we do to be saved? And he's going to say, repent and be immersed. Baptized. Immersed. But I think he's pointing at the McVeigh's, because they would be there. We'll talk about that when we get to it, okay? Anyways, so we're going to spend... This is huge, okay? Because um, there's a lot of debate on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, what place the Holy Spirit has, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit, what does it, what does it mean to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, what does all these kind of things happen? And a lot of people come to Acts chapter 2. It's kind of like a crux passage, okay? We spend some time on it um, for Acts chapter 2. Today we're going to be looking at the filling of the Holy Spirit, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on Acts chapter 2. We're going to come back to it in the middle of the message, and uh, a little bit of it. Next week, we're going to look at speaking in tongues, okay? So, um, and we're going to be talking about that, purpose of tongues, quote-unquote tongues, um, and, and what was actually happening here in Acts chapter 2, and how that plays out with the rest of Scripture as well. Then we're going to get into um, Peter's message, and then their, their, their comment back to him, what must we do, blah, 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 blah. What must we do to be saved? And he says, repent and be what? Baptized. Which is a huge, again, doctrinal point because people believe that there are people who believe that you need to be baptized in order to be saved. It's called baptismal regeneration. It comes from here. Okay, so we're going to talk about that as well in the third week. You didn't know there was so much in Acts chapter. And then finally, we're going to get into the fellowship of the church, which again is huge for us because we want to, we want to believe that we want to be New Testament fellowship. Well, what does that look like? What, what does it happen? So we're going to spend four weeks on Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to fly through this, okay? So as we then look at the filling of the Holy Spirit, we're going to first look at Scripture passages. There's going to be a lot of Scripture passages today, okay? If you're looking at your sermon note sheet, you're going to, you see that. The first part of this is just Scriptures, and there's five subpoints, okay? But in my five subpoints, there's multiple passages that are there. And in the subpoints, under the subpoints, there are multiple passages there okay so that means i gotta stop talking and talk so turn to matthew chapter 3 verse 11 that's our first one okay matthew 3 11 and when things get when the going gets tough at the end i have just so you know i have my cheat sheet and all my verses are here and so i get to talk like the fedex salesman okay all right so matthew 3 verse 11 but while we have the moment let's let our fingers peruse the word of god right so Matthew 3, 
It used to be in my Bible. Verse 11, okay? We have John the Baptist, okay? And he's, and he's um, talking, okay? And he says in verse 11, he says, I indeed immerse you, baptize, but remember the word baptizo. We'll talk about this in a couple weeks from now, okay? The word baptizo is the Greek word. It literally means to dip, dunk, or immerse, okay? So when I see that word, I literally say immerse. I don't like the word baptism. It at all. I think it's, it, it shouldn't have been there at all. It confuses the church to think that we can do something other than immerse. Okay? In there, okay? So John says, John says, I indeed immerse you with water unto repentance. He who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandal I am not worthy to carry. He will immerse you with the Holy Spirit in fire. He will immerse you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So that's the first thing we see is this immersion of the, the Holy Spirit or prophesied immersion of the Holy Spirit. But he also says he's going to immerse you with what? Fire. We kind of ignore that part. Or we like to put it as just the, the little tongues of fire. I don't think that's it. I don't, I don't think they were being immersed with a little tongue of fire. I think he's talking about judgment. Okay? That he so is the judge. There's going to be this part where the Holy Spirit's going to come, and we'll talk about it in the verses as we go. Okay, but I just want you to think this one through as we play it out. That he's going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to have a job to convict of righteousness, judgment, right? But part of that is judgment. You can do what? You can receive him. And when you receive the, 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 the truth, when you see repentance, you're going to receive who? The Holy Spirit. But if you don't receive the Holy Spirit, what do you receive? Judgment. Your choice. Make sense? You can either, it's kind of like, the, let's make a deal. But there's only two doors. Door number one, door number two. Behind door number, I'm telling you, behind door number one, you got the Holy Spirit. You're going to be sealed into the day of repentance. You're going to have the, all these gifts, the, the spiritual blessings that are beyond our comprehension, right? From Ephesians chapter one that we went through. Behind door number two, you can do, do whatever you want to do, but in the end, you're going to have fire judgment and you're going to be there all, all eternity. Isn't it amazing how many people choose door number two? Like it doesn't really exist. God's pretty clear. There's only two doors. Narrow is the path that leads unto life. Few there be that what? Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And many there are that go. They're at. So Matthew 3. We have the immersion of the, the Holy Spirit with fire. We have a numerous passages here. We're going to read them all first. And then we're going to talk about them. So John 14. Okay. So these are all John, I think. Yes. Okay. John 14, and again, if you've um, a lot, studied a lot, you know what these passages are talking about. But John 14, beginning at verse 15, down to 17, Jesus is talking. He had just told them a little bit ago that he was the way, the truth, and life. No one comes unto the Father but by him. Conversation's going on. And he says to them, then, beginning at verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father... And he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave orphans. I will come to you. Okay. Still there in 14. Drop down to verse 25. These things, again, Jesus still speaking. These things have spoken to you. While being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, now he defines the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things that I have said to you. 
chapter uh, 15, verse 26 and 27. But when the Helper, that is the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Okay, now chapter 16, verses 5 to 15. But now I go away to him who sent me, that's the Father. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But I have said these things to you, but because I have said these you sorrow has filled your heart nevertheless i tell you the truth it's to your that i go away the helper will not come to you but if i depart i will send him to you and when he has come he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me of righteousness because i go to the, my father and you see me no more of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, take of mine and declare it to you. So what's the deal here? What do we know about it? First of all, regarding the coming of the Holy Spirit. He's going to be sent by who? By Christ. He's going to be sent by the Father at the request of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, it's profitable for you. It's beneficial for you. It's advantageous for you for me to leave. I can't imagine what that would have been like at that moment. Because when I go, I'm going to send another helper. And he's going to be with you how long? forever forever how cool is that right he's gonna be with you forever okay and we're told there when we were reading up there in john 14 he would be recognized by true believers the world's not going to know him the world's not going to see him it's like jesus talking to nicodemus in john chapter 3 right you see the wind but you don't know or you see the effects of the wind but you don't know how it's playing out same thing with the holy spirit the holy spirit comes upon you you know it you know it. You're going to see the, the trees, if you would, moving. Your life's going to what? Change. And you're going to know. You're just going to know. That's what he basically says. But you'll know him. Because he'll be with you and he will be what? In you. You'll know it. But the world ain't going to get it. Because they can't see him. They don't know him. You have to know God before you know the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's part of does that make sense? So if you don't know God, you don't know Him. You don't know the Father, you don't know the Son, you don't know the Holy Spirit. But there are a lot of false spirits that are in the world who are deceiving people, and they're following them. So first of all, the coming of the Holy Spirit is going to be to, by Christ, and He's going to be recognized by true believers. But then you have the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and first of all, it's going to be to believers, but secondly, it's also going to be to the world. To believers, told throughout those passages, are going to be... in be indwelling in them but he's going to be indwelling in them in order to guide them into all truth mind them of the teachings of christ so so the holy spirit's going to have this we'll talk about sealing in just a moment okay but we're not there yet okay so don't don't read into i suggestively read things in but we're told he's going to live inside you and he's going to be inside you forever okay that's a promise from god 
salvation. It's talking about the faithfulness of God, not your own. Okay? Spirit's gonna come. He's going to live inside you forever. He's going to guide you into all truth. All truth. The question is, am I trusting the Holy Spirit or am I trusting commentators? Am I turning to God or am I turning to man? It still plays out that way. I still have this old nature that wants to look to men to guide me. But the Holy Spirit's going to be inside me. He's going to lead me, guide me into all truth by reminding me of the teachings of Jesus. So again, he's going to remind me of the teachings of Jesus, which means that that means I had to know the teachings of Jesus, which means in my day, because I didn't walk with Christ for those three years, right? That means I have to do what? Read. I've got to read his word. It's like, I want to know by osmosis. But you've got to read God's word. And you know what the Holy Spirit is going to do? It's a promise. The Holy Spirit's going to remind you. He's going to bring them up all the time in your memory. You didn't purposely memorize that, but all of a sudden, boom, comes playing out to you. How cool is that? So the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Okay, next, let's go to John chapter 20. This is in the upper room. This is the, the evening, the night, so the beginning of the next day, really, honestly, um, when Jesus was resurrected, okay? And so we know from taking Luke 24 and all the things together, Jesus has already revealed himself to, um, to Peter, or to Mary and, and um, the others at the, at the graveside. He's appeared specifically, I think, to Peter at some point. Um, he has appeared to the two disciples on the way to Emmaus, okay? And they came back and talked about it, and, uh, and that's when they found out that he had appeared to Mary and to, and to Peter as well. And so he's already appeared to some people, but here he is. He's coming. He's going to come into this upper room. I think it's the same room where they're at at, at the, this very moment, okay, where they had the Last Supper. And so they're there, and the doors are closed. Why do you think the doors are closed? Say again. Fearful. I thought you said careful. I wanted to make sure. So, fearful. Fearful who? The authorities, okay? Yeah, because word's getting out that Jesus, what? Was resurrected, right? I mean, there were, there were soldiers that were there at, at the tomb when the angel came and rolled the stone away, okay? So, stories were already starting to get out. Well, the disciples came to steal the, the body and yada, yada, yada. They overcame our Roman guards. I mean, whatever. And, and so, and there's, well, what? I believe that today. It's an amazing thing, okay? So deception was already going on. So they're having a little bit of fear. They're, they're in this room. The doors are closed, okay? And so while they're there and the doors are closed, we read John chapter 20, beginning at verse 21. Jesus has, has already said to them, um, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. He breathed on them. Now, you wouldn't want me to do that, especially if, you know, depending on what I ate and that kind of stuff, but that's what Jesus does, right? Don't you wonder what that breath was like? How powerful it was? Was it soft? Was it strong? Did he, it was just a, how did he do it? But he breathed on them, and then after he breathed on them, he made a statement. He said, verse 22, I lost it. 
He said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. I don't think he's just mincing words. Sorry. We'll read all the passage. We'll come back to it. Luke 24. Let's go to Luke 24. Every one of these passages is so exciting. I just want to preach on them all by themselves. And I kept telling myself all week, no, you can't do that. You're going to read all these verses, then you're going to talk. My wife's laughing at me. She knows it's an impossibility. Luke 24, verse 46. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued, bad word, we'll talk about that in a moment, endued with power from on high. Okay? Acts 1.8. Anybody want to quote it for me? <laughs> you shall be my witness. Well, yeah, but, but you missed the part. You shall receive power. Okay? So Acts 1.8. Let's turn there. Okay? But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has what? Come upon you. And you shall be witnesses. For then you shall be witnesses. To me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost part, or the ends of the earth. So now, you know from this passage, okay? So in, in order, coming through there. So John 1, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit internal. The presence of the Holy Spirit is internal. Jesus breathes on them, his action. Literally, the word there is, is not for breath, which would have been pneumos, like for spirit or whatever. But literally, it's that he literally blew on them it goes back to genesis chapter 2 verse 7 this is so cool it's exactly right god formed man out of the dust of the earth and then he blew into him the breath of life who is jesus he's yahweh all things were made by him Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. He was a word. He was a Then God said, let there be. He was that word. He was that breath. And now here is Yahweh incarnate in their midst. Breathing on them. Breathing into, literally, them. And he says to them, Lombano, a form of Lombano, I'll just take the word Lombano, which means to take or receive. It's not decomai, which would be more passive of reception, but Lombano, which would be more active involved. And he says, receive, take, receive the Spirit. Because there's a two-part process going on here, right? They don't, it's not just, God puts it on you, but you have to what? You got to receive it. You got to take it too. Okay? So it's, it's like a Christmas gift. I can hand out the Christmas gift, but if you don't take it, if you don't receive it, you never get it. God's given Yahweh in the flesh 
them a gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, as Rob's getting ready to say, I don't think he's just wasting words. I think this is the beginning of the church. I know everybody says Pentecost. But I think this is when they receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I understand Thomas isn't there. And we can debate that, but that's not for now. Okay? I can go back to the, um, the, the time in the wilderness when the Holy Spirit came upon um, the different guys, and some guys didn't come, and they were out in the, in the, uh, the camp, and they got it. Okay? Antioch? No, this isn't Antioch. This is in the upper room. But this is Jesus with the disciples. This is Jesus with the disciples in the upper room. So Antioch's much later. Yeah, well, that doesn't matter. That's way, way. So, so there they are in the upper room, and he breathes on them. Okay? And so they get the Holy Spirit. But I don't know, we're, we'll spend more time on this next week, but I'm probably not going to come to this passage next week, but I want to put this in your brain. I want to just do a little note that when they receive the Holy Spirit, there's no what? Ecstatic utterances. There's no external manifestations that are recorded that happened at this moment. You track with me? Okay, I'm going to leave that go. We'll talk about that a little bit more next week. You'll see it as we go actually into the rest of this message, how this is going to play out, okay? Because it's really exciting stuff, okay? Um, God's Word has all the truth there. We just have to want it, okay? So what else do we see? We see the power of the Holy Spirit is external, okay? So in these passages, he breathes on them, okay? But at the same time, then he also tells them, Luke 24, that they are going to be endued, right, to hang out until they are endued. Well, actually, that word endued is actually just a transliteration from the Greek word enduo. It literally means to be clothed. So it should have been translated in clothes. We have the word endued in English, but that's not the word that's really being here. The, the word enduo in Greek literally means to be clothed. So wait until you are clothed with the Holy Spirit. So I got a coat. And what am I going to do with it? I'm going to cloak myself, clothe myself with it, in a sense. I'm now clothed with this suit coat. That's the picture. That's what's going to happen. You're going to be clothed with the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 1, we read that you're going to be witnesses for me after the Holy Spirit what? Say it again, Brian. Say it louder. Comes upon you. Epirkomai. Irkomai is to go. Ep is upon. So to go upon you. Not come you. It had been ace irkomai. That would have been to enter you. There, there are words for these things. So you're going to receive power when he comes upon you, not when he comes in you. Why? He's already in you. I already breathed in you. How cold is this? But you're going to be closed with him. There's going to be power that happens. So now you should start asking yourself these questions. Wow, that's kind of cold. What's, what's the difference? Because you already have the Holy Spirit. But there's a point where God's going to do what? He's going to empower you to do what? Say again. Be witnesses. To perform the task that I called you to do. Specifically, to be witnesses. 
You can't do it on your own. But we've already been told that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he's going to convict the world of righteousness, judgment, and sin. He's going to be the witness of Jesus. You're just going to be the what? The vehicle. That's exactly right. You are going to be the peace. You don't have to worry about what you're going to say in that day. I don't have that verse up there, but Jesus already said that. Because the Holy Spirit's going to do what? He's going to give you the words to speak. You just have to be willing. That's exactly right, Jose. You just have to be willing. So yesterday, I had my burn going. I don't know if anybody was over at my house and saw the size of my pile of pecan branches. And I mean, I literally cut down half a pecan. I mean, I had two huge piles. And then I went down the, 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 the fence line and I cut down a bunch because I knew it was going to have a fire there. And so all the, the stuff on the neighbor's side had to be gone because I didn't want to be burning down the neighborhood from this fire that I knew way up. Huh? I, I mean, even like I'm, I got my hose and I'm, I'm hosing off his side. You know, the, the kid, he's, he's got a little playhouse for his kid back there. I'm hosing off the house because the fire is so big and things are going. And so I knew, so I got a lot going on for a guy to come to my backyard to get witness to. And so, I mean, you guys get it. There's no temptation to overtake me by such as coming to man. My plans are being interrupted. Isn't that kind of cool? God, God interrupted my plans by bringing them to my backyard to be witness to. All the way to me. And I have to make a decision. Am I what? Am I willing? Available of this moment. But I got a job to do. The fire can wait. We can have another camp, campfire some other day right but what's the soul worth is it worth your embarrassment is it worth worth your rejection is it worth you being mocked potentially what's one soul worth is it worth a hundred bucks is it worth a thousand bucks how much on this end of christ would you have paid to know what you know now it's an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? Would you have given up all your money or would you rather, no, no, I'd rather keep at least half of it and go to hell. We, can, we kind of chuckle, but think about it. Sometimes we live like that. Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot earn. Lose, gain what he cannot lose. Sorry, my brain just went. Shh. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's going to come upon you. That leads us now into our our passage, Acts chapter two, verse one to four. Right. And so what do we see? Two one to four. Let's read it one more time. Okay. And so when we read it, again, pay attention to all the words. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat, and the one is in his helices, one sat each upon, upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Again, we'll talk about the tongues next week. 
But what's the first thing we see? The local context. The apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. But when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, what else did we read just before that? It's not here because this is all about the apostles. Okay? But just before we read that the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, what else did we read? I heard somebody saying it. The whole house was filled. And that kind of something. So the house got saved. That's a house you want to live in. It's a sanctified house, baby. I'm telling you. It's a house full of Holy Spirit. Well, clearly you're not going to say that. Make sense? So what, how does this play out? Well, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, then they speak with languages that they never previously learned. And then we're, we're told, going down past chapter uh, verse 4, that they witnessed to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Isn't that something? So they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Phyllis, you said earlier, what did they do? That's their witness. They witnessed. They witnessed. That's exactly right. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They had power to witness. So, isn't this interesting? Let's look at scriptural context. Now, I'm going to fly through these, okay, because there's, there's time here, okay? But note all being filled with the Spirit. Does anybody note right off the bat anything in common about all these references? Luke wrote them all. Luke wrote them all. So if you want to know what a penman means when he says something, the, the best context, the best uh, correlation to do is to look at how he what? How he used it, right? So we got Luke 1, verse 15. We're told by there that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit. What did he do when he was filled with the Holy Spirit? He spoke boldly the Word of God. Luke 1, 45, 41 to 45, is Elizabeth. Okay, Elizabeth, she all of a sudden full of, is filled with the Holy Spirit. What does she do when she gets filled with the Holy Spirit? She sings a praise song about God. She starts singing and glorifying God. Okay? She starts proclaiming boldly the word of God, if you would. Luke 1, verses 67 to 79. Zacharias is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he did what? Prophesied. He loudly proclaims the word of God. How cool is that? Okay? So then we go to Acts chapter 4, verse 5 to 12. Okay? This is Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. I think it's supposed to be Acts 2. Do I have four up there? I do. That's two. Okay? Peter is full Holy Spirit, right? Oh, no, it's four. That's right, back in four. That's where he's full of the Holy Spirit before the, the Sanhedrin. It's the Word of God boldly, okay? Acts four twenty three to 31. Again, is the, the disciples, they're in, the, in, the, in the, the house, they're praying. That's when the, the room was shaken, right? Because okay, Peter goes to them and they're praying and it says that they are spirit. And does anybody know what happens as a result of that? Say again? Good. They spoke the word with boldness. That's exactly right. I mean, I know. I mean, this is like a no-brainer anymore, isn't it? So Acts 9, 17. Saul was healed by Ananias. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. What did Saul begin to do? Saul, who became Paul, what did he begin to do immediately afterwards? He began, he began to speak the word with boldness. Acts 11, verses 22 to 24. Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit, encouraged believers. Many people were added to the Lord at that time. He spoke the word of God boldly. Acts 13, 8 to 12. 
Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke to, boldly to Elymas, who was beginning the word of God. How do you think he spoke to Elymas? Boldly. What do you think he spoke to him? The word of God. Do you see a common trait here? When the, yeah, boldness and the word of God. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, We'll talk about the tongue part next week, okay? But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, what's the end result? Witnessing. Witnessing. You speak the Word of God boldly. You don't sit in the sanctuary doing things together. Does that make you uncomfortable? It should make you uncomfortable if you're not out witnessing. Because it is entirely possible to be involved with the Holy Spirit, but not know the power of the Holy Spirit. We're content with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is uncomfortable. Because the power of the Holy Spirit makes me do things that I wouldn't have done before. I'm not glorifying myself. I don't mean it that way at all. I really don't, okay? But I was very content to be a programmer. That's what I was. I wrote programs. But then I felt God tugging on my heart that he wanted me to go into ministry. He wanted me to reach men, specifically. That's always been my heart. To bring men to revival. And I had a choice to make. I don't regret it. There have been many times, I promise you, the power of the Holy Spirit hasn't been upon me because of my own sin. But there are so many times I can tell you about that the Lord allowed me to accomplish things and do things in such a marvelous way that I know it had to be Him. Knocking on doors is not my cup of tea. It's not where I want to be on a Wednesday night. And Wednesdays can become really rough. As, we, as, as I know that I'm coming, I feel sick, I feel tired, I feel complacent, I feel lethargic. I feel like, oh, I don't want to do this. You know, I'm, I'm praying for rain. You know, and um, it's kind of a joke. Not really, but... Because I don't want that. But when we go out, what are we praying for? Boldness. For the Holy Spirit to be opening up doors. For the Holy Spirit to, to, to work through us in a mighty way. Because it's going to have to be who? Him that does it. Final point in the scripture section. Acts two sixteen to 21. We're told now of another part where this is pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Okay, And so Peter, as he's preaching, he talks about how Joel proclaimed this. And how that, that there would become a time when Yahweh would pour out his spirit upon the people. And then that it actually happened. Okay? And then he says, and this is what you're seeing. That, that he's pouring out the Holy Spirit. And so literally, that word is used primarily of wine or drink or Jesus' blood. Okay? When you look at the usage of the word, that's what it's talking about, being poured. Okay? 
This is kind of a cool picture to think about. That God is up there when you are willing, when you're in prayer, when you are waiting for God to work, and you are prayerfully waiting for God to work, you are seeking God's divine empowerment to do things. He takes a five-gallon bucket and starts pouring the Holy Spirit upon you. That's the picture. Acts 10, 44-48, we read that Peter goes to um, the um, Caesarea, the, um, come on, the army soldier. Cornelius, goes to Cornelius' house. And, uh, and he, he begins to witness, right? While he's opening his mouth, I mean, just the very beginning of it, all of a sudden Cornelius, ones who are with him, receive the message, and they begin to speak in other languages, tongues. I know that because the Peter and the other Jews that are with him say that they get the same gift that they had from the beginning, right? But they call it a pouring out of the Spirit. So they say that the Holy Spirit fell on them, it was poured out on them, and we see in verse 47, it was after they had received. They got the internal gift, they received it, they believed. And then after they received it and they got the internal gift, what happened? God gave them an external celebration. We'll talk about that again next week. Okay? There's a purpose for that. Okay? So you've got to hang on for that one. But they got this external part. So they got the internal, and then after they got the internal, they got the external. Okay? Titus 3, 5, and 6 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Christ our Savior. You can't conjure up the Holy Spirit. You can't get it on your own. It, sorry, him, on your own. You can't get a bigger portion on your own. He has to be, or the power of his ministry, poured out upon you. It's got to come on you from above. If you're manufacturing it, it's coming from within. I want you to think about that one. Or it's some other spirit. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul, Paul warns the church that I'm jealous over you with another jealousy because someone may come in with another spirit and you may very well what? Accept it. All right, we've got to close up. Synopsis. Bring it all together. What does it look like? First of all, the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We're told about that over and over and over again in God's Word. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that we are the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 4 tells us that we are sealed then by the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 1 tells me that He is the guarantee. Again, I can't lose my salvation, not because of Bob, but because of God. I'd lose it every day. But God won't. He puts the Holy Spirit indwelling me. I become the temple of God. He indwells me, and it becomes the seal, the guarantee of my, of my inheritance. And so he tells Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, he says, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who what? Dwells in us. He dwells in us. And secondly, then, the temporary empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we see it from, again, from multiple passages 
but other passages that, that kind of play into this as well. Hebrews 2 tells us that things that were confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders and various miracles. Again, we'll talk about that next week. Okay? And gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own. Well, then Mark 12, Jesus says, David himself said by the Holy Spirit, Yahweh said to my Lord, my Adonai, sit at my right hand. Well, that David himself said in 2 Samuel 23, verse 1 and 2, that the Spirit of Yahweh spoke by me. What? God came upon me and, and caused me to what? To speak. So the external coming upon um, is there. And so 2 Peter 1, 20, 21, I didn't have space to put that one in there, but we know that holy men of God spoke as they were what? Moved by the Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit came upon them external, okay? He was already indwelling them, but he came upon them to move them to write the things that he had recorded. So what's the point from this, with this filling of the Holy Spirit? A, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, if you've accepted him, the death, the burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. However, however, there is a second phase that you can't experience. And that is the Holy Spirit coming upon you with power, which you won't understand until you are willing, until you are setting yourself aside, sanctified for his use. So, is your belief in the ministry of the Holy Spirit based upon your experience, the experience of others, or based upon the Word of God? This again next week. Years ago, when I went to Israel, it was during the, between the summer of my first year and second year of seminary. When I started seminary, the registrar met with me, and he wanted me to sign a, a, a doctrinal statement to go there. One of the things in the doctrinal statement was that I didn't believe in the speaking in tongues. I said, I can't, I can't sign that. I can't sign that. I'll tell you his name. I still remember the, the shocked face. I've never heard that before. And he's like, um, you can't? I said, no. I never heard about it. I, don't, I can't tell you what I believe it or I don't believe it. So I can't sign, same, sign something saying I don't believe it when I haven't got a clue what it's about. He said to me, well, are you teachable? Now, you got to understand, I was saved at the end of 84, okay? And I'm in seminary in August of 87, okay? So I, was, I hadn't been even saved three years, and I was in seminary. But, you know, one. And so, so he says, are you? I said, I'd like to think so. So they let me put a waiver, a little uh, exemption, whatever you want to say on there that, I'm not signing that little statement because I don't know about it, right? But Bob was very anti-administration, very anti, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? What did that tell Bob? What was going to happen in seminary? They were going to indoctrinate me. They were going to teach me. They were going to indoctrinate me. They were going to brainwash me. So that there's no... Speaking in tongues. There's no ability to speak in tongues. Whatever that was, I don't know. But that's what they're going to teach me, that that's not true. So Bob said what? I'm praying for it. I want to know about this gift that they don't want me to know about. And so I start studying it from the other side. I mean, I'm praying for it. And I was in 
going to Israel, we're in Israel, but way over to Israel, on the plane, I'm praying for the gift. I'm reading a book about the Azusa Street um, revival, and this is, you say, I don't know, don't worry about it. It's all from the other side, about the, the, the marvels of, of speaking in tongues and all that kind of stuff, what they refer to as the gibberish and everything. And so, and I'm asking God, I'm pleading God, I want this. If this is, if this is from you, I want this. And I'm reading books and everything. I still remember we were in the um, kibbutz that was between Jerusalem and, and Bethlehem. They had a hotel. And I still remember I was in the room, our, our room that day. And I'm pleading, and I'm, I'm, I'm in prayer, I'm pleading, I'm, I'm, I'm begging God for this thing. And God has, has to do with me. Pick me up, throw me against the wall. No, not necessarily physically, but that's how it, you just got to slam me against the wall to get my t- and he says, would you quit reading the books of men and read mine? Ouch, that hurt. Because I was a seminarian. Anyways, <laughs> I said, God, you're right. I am so sorry. It's had an impact on me for many, many years now. That's why I, I really don't read commentaries a lot. I read the Word of God. He showed me from his Word, the Holy Spirit's job. In that study that I did, coming through that. This is just part of it. It's the Holy Spirit's job to guide me into all truth. Believe it or don't believe it. I believe it by faith. By faith, I believe that God will do what he's declared that he would do. And you can call me an idiot for it. I don't really care. I'd rather be, I'd rather take God's word as it is and be called an idiot by men. But I think there's a place for commentaries. I'm saying commentaries are wrong. But I was taking the word of man over the word of God. And so this isn't to you guys. Just It's to me, because that was Bob. Worrying about the experience of others above the word of God. But God's word is true. I can't argue with your experience. I can't argue with your experience. I'm not going to argue about your experience. I'm only going to come back and say, but this is what God's word says. Does that track you, track with you? Have you received the gift of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Is there evidence in your life that he's indwelling you? There ought. When God comes and takes up residence in your house, there ought to be some cleaning going on. He doesn't live in a pigsty. His command is to be holy even as he is holy. And we're told in Romans chapter 8 that, that it is his predestined purpose for you to be conformed to the image of Christ. And that he who began, Philippians chapter 1, he who began the good work in you will continue to perform it to the day of Christ. And if that is all true, there ought to be a change in your life if you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. I'll leave it there. Have you trusted in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ? It's the prerequisite for the indwelling. You say, well, I, I believe that. Do you believe it up here? Or have you committed to yourself here? There's a difference. The empowerment, clothing, or pouring out of the Holy Spirit was generally in connection to the individuals being set apart in prayer or prayer and fasting. From man's perspective, what are you doing to make yourself available? I say from man's perspective because, again, I can't cause the Holy Spirit to come upon me. But I can make myself available. I can bring myself into the place where God can use me. Does that make sense? I can't force God's hand. I don't mean to force God's hand. But I know what God desires from me. To pray without ceasing. He wants me to be in fellowship with him. He wants me to be in his word. He wants me to be available and willing to go out. I can't witness to somebody 
if I won't engage an unbeliever. Does that make sense? I can't teach somebody if I'm not willing to study and open my mouth to them. It's kind of hard to see the power of the Holy Spirit come upon you if you're not willing and able to do that. Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. You alone are the most high God. You, before the foundations of the world were laid, the earth to be inhabited, you knew that you would come to redeem us. God the Son would come to pay the penalty of our sins in order that then those who believe would be recipients of God the Holy Spirit. How amazing it is to me, Lord, that as you've declared through Jesus, that you dwell in something. It's not I who live, but it's in me. So God, I, I ask that you would help me to hunger and thirst for more of you. That I would desire delight in being set apart to you. That I would know and experience your power. In the me, to testify of you, to teach your word. Lord, if it's just from me, it's meaningless and it's vain. Cause me to be pure. Give me a passion for you. Provide me privileges that will be accompanied by your power. That see, people would see the person of Christ. And they would come to know you. To God be the glory. Amen.